Our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the Gospel of Christ. Well, a very good morning to you folks. Uh, last time I was preaching, I made a stuff up with this uh, microphone. I got excited in the pulpit, if you remember, and I banged this, and every time I banged it, your, your ears shot out all over the place. Is it going to happen this time? Am I all right? Everything's okay, good. Uh, just listening to that, isn't that a wonderful hymn just now? I, I don't know whether you're like me, but um, the older I get and the longer I walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, the more emotional I get. Have you ever found that, you tough guys out there? Have you ever, have you ever found that? And to, to, to sing again, once your enemy, and now I'm seated at your table, I just think that is wonderful. And I, I get Every time I, I sing it now, I, I become more and more emotional. So give me a kick out the backside as I'm going out and say, get, get with it, Wally, get real. But it's wonderful. And you young people have got it all to look forward to. It's a wonderful walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. What am I going on about? It's got nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, I didn't realize when I uh, thought through what, what I should preach on and what I felt led to preach on, I didn't realize it was... Um, Commitment Sunday, uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, so hopefully this, is, this, this may help you to think through some of those things. I hope so. Well, let me pray. May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our Creator and Redeemer. Amen. Well, in the passage which was just read by Chris, uh, Mark chapter 3, verses, three uh, verses 13 to 19, Jesus called his disciples... And it says that he designated uh, 12 of them apostles. And you can see in that passage that he called them for two reasons. Verse 14, that they might be with him, that's the first thing, and send them out to preach and make other disciples. And really, that's no different for us Christians today, in, you know, in principle. A Christian is called to be with Jesus and to minister to and to reach others. But when they're called, what kind of disciples, what kind of Christians does Jesus, God, use to reach and minister to others? Does he only use sort of certain types of Christians? Does he only use those who are sort of obviously talented or those who are very keen on Christianity? Does he only use young people for ministry? Does he only use extroverts or outgoing and confident people? Does he only use sort of victorious Christians who always have strong faith? Does he not use quiet Christians, shy Christians, not so confident Christians, 
some Christians who may be going through difficulties or trials or grief? Does he not use elderly Christians or those with ailments or those who fail, who may fail again and again? What kind of disciples does God use? Will he use you? Will he use me? Well, this morning, I just want to look at three of the apostles and see what kind of people God uses. Firstly, God uses people like Peter. Have a look at Peter in the Gospels. Uh, Peter was the leader of the apostles. When the apostles are listed in the Gospels, Peter is always named first. Peter was a natural, he was a natural leader. And leaders always want to know things. So they're always asking questions. They drive me crazy, some of these people. They're always asking questions. In the Gospels, Peter asked Jesus more questions than all the other apostles put together. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus told a parable. And Peter asked, what does that mean, Lord? What does it it mean? The others just sit there. They're very quiet. They just sit there. Not Peter. Explain it, Lord. I want to know what it means. It's Peter who asked Jesus in Matthew 18 about forgiveness. Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus spoke about the the cost of following him. Peter wants to know more. Lord, we left everything to follow you. What then is there for us, he says? Even after the resurrection, in John 21, Jesus has a very solemn and serious conversation with Peter. He talks to him in a very serious manner. And he tells Peter how he will eventually die for the gospel. And even then, Peter can't keep his mouth shut. He points to John and he says, "Uh, uh, what about him? When's he going to die? He wants to know everything. He always wants to know more. It's not that Peter was a great academic, but his natural gifts of leadership has an inquiring mind. Peter is also the first to answer and often answers for the group themselves. Once, when a woman touched Jesus and he asked, who touched me? Peter answered, Lord, there are many people who are pressing against you. In other words, how can we know? How do we know that? Another time, Jesus asked the apostles in a very solemn place, especially in Mark chapter 8. It's a turning point in the gospel. Jesus asked the apostles, who do you think I am? And it's Peter who answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In John chapter 6, after Jesus preached that very tough sermon on I am the bread of life, it says in verse 66 that many, because they heard the sermon, that many no longer followed Jesus. And he turns to the twelve and he says, what about you? Will you leave me too? Again, it's Peter who answers for the whole group. Lord, who would we go to, he says. Only you have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. He was speaking for the twelve. Peter was a natural leader. But even though he was a leader, Peter had weaknesses, he made mistakes, and he failed, and he needed to learn from Jesus. He often made bold statements which he couldn't back up. When Jesus walked on the water, it was Peter who confidently jumped out of the boat, obviously full of faith. But when he went to walk on the water, he sank. He lacked faith. 
It's Peter in Matthew 26, when Jesus, just before he goes to the cross, he tells his apostles that they will all desert him. And Peter, you remember, says, Lord, I will never leave you. Jesus gives him another chance. Never, Peter? Never? Peter replies, even if those other 11 leave you, I never will. And in verse 15, he digs himself into a deeper hole. Even if, they, even if I have to die for you, he says, I will never disown you. He not only disowned Jesus, he denied that he ever knew him. Not once, but three times. And only Peter had the audacity to rebuke Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verse 22, Jesus said how he was going to suffer and die and it says that Peter took Jesus aside and he rebuked him. That will never happen to you, he said. Peter received the most blessed words from the Lord Jesus, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. But he also received the most scathing, Get thee behind me, Satan. The leading apostle was being used by Satan. With Peter's weaknesses, sleeping in the garden, his lack of faith, his lack of spiritual discernment, his foolish overconfidence and boldness, his cowardice, his denying Jesus, it's a wonder he became an apostle at all, never mind the leader. And Peter failed. Peter failed when Jesus needed him the most. But often, really, we're no different than Peter. We may get great promises that we don't keep. Lord, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read God's word more. I'm not going to miss church. I'm going to go to the Bible studies this year. I'm going to go to the prayer meetings. I'm going to do this in church for you. I'm going to do these other things. I'll do these things for you, but often they don't last. Or we say, Lord, I'm, not going, to, I'm going to stop this particular sin. I'm not going to go to that place. I'm not going to go with those people. I'm not going to watch this thing. I'm not going to do this. But we don't keep it. And hasn't there been a time when you could have stood up for Jesus Christ, but you didn't? In your workplace or at the university? Out socially? When we look at ourselves, we often see both sides of Peter. We see what we want to be for God. I want to have stronger faith. I want to pray more. I want not to have doubts. I want to become more like Jesus Christ. I want to be pure in heart like he is. I want to love God fully. It's always my prayer. I always fail. But we fail in these things. We're just like Peter. But Jesus didn't give up on Peter. He took that sort of raw material and those leadership qualities and he turned it into Peter the rock. Jesus used Peter's character he used those experiences and, yes, even those failures to teach and mold and strengthen Peter. And Peter became the man that God used. After the resurrection, it was Peter who stood up before 3,000 Jews and preached the gospel. In Acts chapter 4, he was imprisoned for the gospel. Peter was the first man to take the gospel to the Gentiles. God used Peter. Yes, he still failed. Of course he did. He struggled spiritually. Of course he did. But God used Peter. Will he use you? Will he use you if you fail? 
maybe in leadership. If you're willing, he will. He will use you. Think about that this week when you look at those, that thing, that, that uh, Commitment Sunday stuff. That's the first one. Secondly, God uses people like Andrew. I love Andrew. He's everything I'm not. I love Andrew was a special apostle. He was known as Simon Peter's brother. And when you read the Gospels, you get the impression that he lived in the shadow of Peter. I read once that Chris Cairns, in his early cricketing career, he said, I I don't want to be known as Lance Cairns' son. I I want to be myself. He lived in the shadow of his father, he thought. Well, that wasn't Andrew. Always Simon Peter, always Simon, he, he wasn't like, except Andrew didn't mind that. If he did, he may not have introduced Peter to Jesus in the first place. He may have thought, I know what's going to happen here. I know what's going to happen. I want to introduce Peter, and he's going to take over. He's going to do all the stuff. And I'll be sidelined. But he didn't introduce Peter to Jesus. He did. Andrew is also interesting, or in an interesting position in sort of the pecking order of the apostles. When they're listed in the Gospels, the names always fall into three groups of four. And Andrew is always in the first group. But he doesn't quite make that inner circle of Peter, James, and John. So he's above the other eight. But he never quite gets into that group who share some very close and intimate experiences with Jesus. You remember Jesus took Peter, James, and John into the house when he raised the girl from the dead. You remember that? Andrew didn't go. He didn't go when Jesus took those same three up the holy mountain at the transfiguration, a very important time. Andrew didn't go. Nor in the garden of Gethsemane when Peter, James, and John went deeper into the garden. Andrew didn't go. So Andrew was the first disciple called, but then he watched as these other three became that intimate inner circle with Jesus. You know, there are not many, even Christians, who willingly accept that kind of second place. Most of us want to be in that inner circle. As I thought about this, I wondered how James or John, with their desire for important places in the kingdom. Do you remember that? I wonder how those two would have coped in Andrew's position. But we don't read of Andrew complaining or being discontent. But some Christians are like that. If somebody in the church is in what appears to be an inner circle or has an upfront ministry, we can get jealous or resentful. We can stir up discontent in the background, kind of. Even in the church, there can be jealousy over other people's ministries. But that wasn't Andrew. He just gets on with it. Just quietly working away in the background. And as long as he can be with and minister for Jesus, he's quite content. But there's something else about Andrew. Apart from the list of apostles, Andrew is only mentioned three times in the Gospels. And each time... He is bringing somebody to Jesus Christ. You ever ever realize that in the Gospels? When Jesus first calls Andrew in John chapter 1, verse verse 41 says, the first thing that Andrew did was tell his brother Peter, we have found the Messiah. And then it says, he brought Peter to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? That's just wonderful. Andrew brought others to Jesus Christ. He hadn't been trained in discipleship. 
He hadn't read the latest, you know, four ways to reach people for grace. He hadn't told that. He simply told people that he'd found Christ. And I think that's why Andrew is so special. He wasn't the, dy- the dynamic leader that, or, or preacher that Peter was. He may not have had the intellect, academic, and theological brain of Paul the Apostle. He may not have been like that. But he brought people to Jesus. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? And the boy with the five loaves and fishes? You ever, you ever read that properly? Who, who brought that boy to Jesus Christ? It was Andrew. In John chapter 12, some Greeks want to meet Jesus Christ. They approach Philip, who takes them to Andrew, who then takes them to Jesus. So this is Andrew, quietly working away in the background, bringing people to Jesus, inviting them into the church. Not interested in making the headlines, not interested in being one of the important people in the church. He is quiet, unassuming, quite content to be with Jesus and bring others to him. God uses people like Andrew, and he does today. In the 30-plus years of my ministry, I've had the privilege of knowing many Andrews, many of them, behind the scenes, working away. They're not interested in the inner circles. They're not interested in being in the in-group in the church. They're not being interested in being well-known or being up front. They just get on with it. No trumpeting about what they do or where they go. No fanfares. No telling great faith stories. I've done this and I've done the other. Or, or how, high work, how hard I work in the church. Oh, I'm just so tired. You know, I've been to visit so and so. No, they don't do that. They just beaver away. They just get on with it whether it's trying to share their faith sort of bumbly with others or encouraging their brothers and sisters in the church, they just get on with it. There are Andrews here this morning. They are the backbone of a church. The backbone. They're just content to serve Jesus Christ. And let me encourage the Andrews here. Let me encourage you. Preachers couldn't preach if it wasn't for Andrews. In fact, it takes an Andrew to reach a Peter. It took an Andrew to reach Charles Spurgeon. We don't know the name of that old man who preached that morning to 17 people for 10 minutes, and Charles Spurgeon was there. We don't know his name, but we know what Charles Spurgeon did. John Wesley's mother was an Andrew, or an Andrew S., So was Augustine's. So was George Whitfield's mother. They are the ones who prayed for those people and taught them the scriptures. So God uses people like Andrew. Thirdly, very briefly, God uses people like James. James was in that intimate circle with Peter and John. In the Gospels, he's always mentioned with his brother and he's always mentioned first, so it's more than likely that he was the older brother. And from a human perspective, James must have been a difficult character for Jesus to work on. Why? Well, let me try to show you what I mean. James, as we know from other incidents in the gospel, was ambitious within the gospels. Now, it may have been 
that he saw himself as socially, from a human perspective. He may have seen other, you know, the other apostles. He'd seen himself socially above them, above the other ones. Why? Well, it could be because James's father employed hired hands for fishing. So in Mark chapter, in Mark chapter one, it tells you that, which means they were probably a well-to-do business family. So he could have thought himself better than the others. And then you've got that incident when James and John ask for special privileges in the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 17 here, they're called Boanerges. I think that's how you pronounce it. Sons of Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Meaning, James's character was impulsive and fiery and stormy, as we used to say in the Navy. Remember, remember... And you get an example of that. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus meets opposition in Samaria. Do you remember? They're they're opposing Jesus. And uh, when James and John saw this, they they said to Jesus, in verse 54, they said, listen to what they say. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? (laughs) You talk about a fiery preacher. Uh, That's what he said. Well, that was James' character. Fiery, stormy, zealous, feeling socially superior, selfish, ambitious. But again, Jesus took that raw character, and he didn't so much knock all those qualities out of him, but he molded them, refined them, and he used them in a godly way for the kingdom of God. How do we know that? Well, we don't know specifically, but early in the book of Acts... (coughs) Some of the apostles are mentioned by name, but James is never mentioned. In the early book of Acts, he's, he's, not, he's not mentioned, which is a change from the Gospels. Could it be that he didn't seek the limelight anymore? Could it be that he'd learned from Jesus what he had taught him that day, that true humility and true Christian leadership comes in serving, not lording it over people or looking down on people or thinking that you're better than other people? That's possible. But if that's true, he was still preaching the gospel with fire and zeal. His zeal for status and position may have died, but not his zeal for the gospel. How do we know that? Well, again, we can't know specifically, but in Acts chapter 12, which is roughly about 14 years after Pentecost, the church was growing again in Jerusalem, and King Herod wanted it stopped. So what did he do? He had James executed. James was obviously a problem to Herod. Get rid of James, get rid of his passion, get rid of his zeal, and the church will be weaker. Get him out of the way. And James was probably preaching what Herod didn't like to hear, which was what John the Baptist was preaching. Jesus Christ, salvation, sin, judgment, repentance, things that many people in our society don't like to hear today either. So it's likely that Herod believed that one of the causes, one of the main causes of the church growing, and he wants to stop it, one of the main causes was James. So he got rid of him. The church today in Western society desperately needs more Jameses, zealous Not blindly zealous, not zeal without knowledge, but molded by Jesus and used for the kingdom of God. 
A James whose society needs to silence, needs to shut up to stop the spread of the gospel. We need preachers like James today who will preach the true gospel. We need Christians like James today in society who speak up for the gospel when Jesus or Christianity is insulted, whether it's in the university classroom or in the workplace or in society, or whether it's writing letters to the paper when Christianity is attacked in some way or on some moral issue. It needs Jameses to speak up. Too often, most of us Christians sit silent. I know I'm guilty of it. Bishop J.C. Ryle said this, Far better that we stand at the judgment seat as a James who loved his Lord and died for him than stand as one neither hot nor cold but who was very nice to everybody. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? The church needs Jameses today, not crackpots. I'm not talking about those kind of... Not rude Christians, not arrogant Christians. Not Christians with zeal but no knowledge, no informed zeal, knowledgeable about what they believe and why they believe it. We need Jameses today. And there's some in this congregation. So what kind of people does Jesus use? What kind of Christians does he use for ministry? All kinds. All kinds of characters. And if you're willing... He will continue to take your character, your experiences, your failures, your hurts, your struggles, your griefs, and your joys. He'll take all those and he will mold them and shape them and use you. God uses all kinds of people like you and like me. But these apostles all had one thing in common. They loved Jesus Christ and they were totally committed to him. Totally. Each one of these apostles died for their Lord. Each one of them. Do you love Jesus Christ that much? There are some Christians throughout this world who are dying today for their faith in other parts of the country. Would we do that if we were in the same position? Are you willing to give up the life of self and wanting what God wants instead of what We selfishly want. If that's the case, and you're willing, then he will use you. And may God bless your ministry as you think through it this week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all who have gone before us all those incredible saints, well-known, not known at all. We thank you for each one of them. We thank you that you used each one of them. And we thank you that when when they failed, you picked them up. When they were hurting and struggling, you picked them up and strengthened them, and you used them in those circumstances. I pray for this church today, Father, and each person's ministry. May they think through and pray through this week what they will do and what they will share, but also all the ministry that they do. May they continue to show the love of our Lord Jesus Christ in all they do and say. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen.